I get to do this a lot of places. Uh, your church deeply cares about the next generation. Uh, that's rare and exceptional. My, my hope would be that it wasn't uh, rare and be the normal, but, but you guys are setting the bar uh, for sure. And I want to thank Johnny, the staff, the leaders, the students for just an incredible weekend. Your church uh, absolutely has a gift of hospitality and it's been an incredible, incredible time. Uh, but we have this time together this morning. There's really two dangers here. For you guys, the danger is this. God's already done what he's going to do. I'm going to check out, get through this session, and then we're moving on. And you would miss what God has for you this morning. Uh, for some of you that have already kind of put it on autopilot and it's youth morning. I, I came to preach to you and I intend to preach the word of God. And if you're here and you missed out on the weekend, you've been somewhere else. You're included. You're not excluded. And so I told the students this weekend and my challenge would be for you. Don't listen for someone else or tune out. You need to grab a mirror. What we're going to talk about applies to you. And for some of you, it could not only be life-changing, but life-giving. If I was teaching at my home church, I would say this. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, go to the Gospel of Luke. But here, I'm going to say, so this is the Word of God. You need to grab it, right? Go to Luke 13. That's what we're going to be walking through this morning. We're going to let the text drive and figure out what God has to say. For those of you watching online, those of you at home, I know it's been a very, very difficult week. I can't imagine some of the circumstances that you've been in. Maybe you don't even have a clue how this video found you, but I want you to know something. We prayed for you this morning. Uh, I hope whatever's going on that you would know. Psalm 3418 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Colleyville is a church that loves you, reaches out, and if they can help in any way, I am sure that they can. And for those of you here as well, whatever circumstances you've been going through, uh, my hope and prayer is that it is brought you closer in your walk with Christ. Uh, the students don't know this about me yet. We kind of walked around this. I, I'm from Pickles Gap, Arkansas. Pickles Gap, Arkansas is right next to Toadsuck, Arkansas, which is right next to Booger Holla, Arkansas. And if you think preachers lie to you, look it up. I couldn't even make those things up, right? My little brother paints uh, professional fishing lures for a living. My older brother coaches Division I baseball and played for the Chicago Cubs. And so we grew up in, an org in this kind of wild growing up deal. And I'll never forget uh, growing up knowing that my older brother was a special talent. When I get to preach and do athletic conferences and help parents kind of navigate this season of sports culture and faith, I always tell parents, if you're wondering if your child's a professional athlete, they're not. You can spot it a mile away. Talent looks different and you can't hide it. And, and I'll never forget just being a young kid going, wow, when he was born, he took all of the ability, right? Like left none. And I was a very, very, very average college baseball player. My, my younger brother would say the same about himself. But my junior, I think going into my senior year of college, my brother called me and it was on a device called a landline phone. And I picked it up. I loved the mixtape. No one knows what that is. It was so good. Uh, I picked it up and he said this. He said, hey, Jay, what are you doing? I said, nothing much. And he said, do you want to come to spring training and hang out with me for the weekend? And I said, let me pray about it. Yes, God wants me to do that. <laughs> and so, man, I got on a plane and, and I told you guys a little bit of, uh, of, of this kind of concept. This is not the message, but for some of you, it's so applicable. Man, he treated me so well. 
God gives you little brothers and sisters to invest in. He was my hero. They get off the plane and someone's holding your name, right? I get to the field and they've got a jersey hanging for me, my own locker, my name on it. There's a guy helping me. Hey, you're going to run out. I go out on the field like it's just a dream and I'm living it up. He's taking BP, shagging flies. And, and the place is starting to fill up with kids. And, and this is hard for you guys to understand. But there was a time in life when wherever we were, we were just there. Like you didn't record it or take pictures of it. You just kind of enjoyed it in the moment, right? And so everybody had this thing called a disposable camera. But nobody could look up who was there. And so I kind of looked like I belonged. And I'm out in left field and I hear these kids start yelling, Curry, Curry, that's my last name. And it didn't click because like no one's ever yelled my name with affection before, right? That was just me getting in trouble growing up. And I turned around and realized that they thought that I was a professional baseball player and I obliged. Like I went through the whole thing. I signed autographs, kissed babies, <laughs> told a kid, don't give up on your dreams. No one thought I'd be here either. <laughs> There's a kid somewhere that's got the most worthless picture of me and him in spring training. It's awful. It's sin. Don't laugh. I'd do it again. <laughs> if you've ever been around major sporting events, you know this, that right before the game, they let all kinds of non-athletic people on the field. And then as it's getting closer to time to pay the bills and make it happen, they start to clear everyone out, right? And so if you've ever been in a pregame atmosphere, like you stay as long as you can and try to look the norm, right? And sure enough, the field manager comes and he taps me on the shoulder and he says, hey, Jason, we're going to take you to your seats. And then he says this, we've got the best seats in the house for you. Like there's no box seats better than what you've got. And I, my heart sank. And I thought... It might be good, but I'm on the field. Hey, hey, once you cross the line, box seats won't cut it anymore. And you already know the application, but maybe you haven't applied it to your life. From Pickles Gap to Colleyville, there are churches filled with people who sit in the same box seats each week, but they themselves have never lived out faith. They themselves have never put their trust in Christ. Some of you will attend one weekend after one weekend after one weekend, and you'll see friends of yours step out and take steps of faith, and you'll have box seats to the move of God, and you yourself will never put your faith in Christ. How heartbreaking. Some of you might attend a church service like this, and think how incredible for the youth, the young folks, the next generation, America needs that. And you yourself would stay in a comfortable box seat. And what happens? What happens when we sit back and watch God move all around us? And in people all around us. But we ourselves miss out. And for some of you, your heart's already beating fast. Because it is the description you may never miss a Sunday, a retreat. But if you and I were to sit down and talk and me just ask you, not in an attack way, in a loving way, to just say this, would you tell me the story of you and Jesus? You might try to tell someone else's story or struggle with your own. 
And so the question is, what happens when we're around the things of God, but we ourselves have never trusted? Jesus begins to speak so clearly into this situation. Now, the context, and the context really is the message, is Jesus is invited in, and some of you need to hear this, into a very popular argument of the day, but he doesn't take the bait. Instead, he takes what's a very general question, and you go study the teachings of Jesus. He constantly took these general questions that were intended for a large group of people and responded in a personal way, almost as if he was saying, yeah, yeah, I hear you, but what about you? And it is into that context and into this Jewish argument of who was going to go to heaven that Jesus speaks. Look at it if you've got your Bibles. In Luke 13, he went through one town and village after another, teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. Boy, we could preach on that. He was focused. Lord, someone asked him, are only a few going to be saved? What's happening here? From a Jewish context, the question is this. Are all the descendants of Abraham or just us, the religious elite who are really keeping the law good, going to be saved? I taught you guys. Very few things irritated Jesus worse than the misrepresentation of his father or the idea that there were groups of people who had gone too far, done too much, that they were unsavable, unreachable, that grace could not find them and so that they were, they were out. This was the, the conflict between Jesus and the religious elite of the day. And so he's invited in to this discussion. And he answers in such a life-changing way. He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able once the owner of the house gets up and shuts the door. Then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. And he will answer you. I don't know where you're from. Jesus is reminding us, everyone spends eternity somewhere. And when your eyes are open to the reality, to the reality of eternity, there's not going to be anyone who says, no, I don't want that. But he's helping us understand how we take that step of faith. If you're reading this, and I would say a very drastic manipulation of the text would be the idea that Jesus is teaching a works-based, a performance-based salvation. Some of your translations say, strive to enter through the narrow door. That is not what Jesus is saying at all. A strive to enter through the narrow gate is not a call to save ourselves by our good works. Why? Because good works are not the right gate. You could strive and work hard then try to be good your whole life. But if you're striving for the wrong gate, it doesn't matter. Jesus is the door. He is the gate. The problem, guys, is there's obstacle after obstacle. The world is an obstacle. Satan's an obstacle. My sinful nature's an obstacle. My own religious works can become an obstacle. So we must strive to believe 
that it is faith in Christ alone and his work on the cross alone and his resurrection alone that saves us. What Jesus wanted these folks to understand and us to, if you're taking notes, it's this. The invitation to salvation is broad, but the path is narrow. You are invited. But the step you must take is in and through Christ and Christ alone. Jesus plus anything, that's not the gospel. Jesus minus anything, it's not the gospel. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. You could strive your whole life and miss it. It's a narrow path. And not only that, when you start to read this, here's what you see. Jesus is saying this, the opportunity for salvation, it's fleeting and it's finite. Your life is a mist and it's defined and you don't know the length of it. I've already told this group, I won't go through it again. I buried my best friend at 19 and it ruined me from ever walking in a room like this and playing it safe. Everyone spends eternity somewhere and if you got one shot, you go with the gospel. As a student pastor, and you can ask anyone in here in ministry, you do just a couple of junior high funerals and it ruins you. From just going through the motions. If there's anything that you could hear me say, it would be this, that your life is absolutely defined and it goes quicker than you could possibly imagine. And everyone spends eternity somewhere we read passages like this and our culture looks back and says, boy, this doesn't sound very loving because we've confused loving with complete and total tolerance and acceptance of what anyone wants to do or believe. That's not love. When you become a parent, you learn that. You don't say things like, play in the street if you want, do what you will. No, when we love someone, we tell them, you can't go there. Don't do that. There's pain there. Come back here. And you want to know how you should read this? It's a collision. Jesus is a full court press of grace and truth. And even now you know that I'm telling you the truth. Our life is defined, it's finite. And it's fleeting. And one day you will stand before God. There is an accounting for our life. Jesus wanted us to understand that that moment is coming. Then he turns his attention to the crowd there and he begins to teach, this is remarkable. He says, then you will say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, all you evil doers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves thrown out. You could read it so quick and it just kind of, you go, I'm not sure I get what he's saying and move on. Don't do that when you read scripture. Let, let it marinate. What Jesus is teaching us, there's three things here. 
that is, they're so applicable to us from a church standpoint this morning. The first is this, proximity to Jesus does not equal salvation. You can sit right next to someone who's putting their faith in Christ and miss the kingdom of God. You could drive someone to church who gets baptized and miss the kingdom of God. And some of you push back from that and you go, no, 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 I, I'm not sure about that. Think about this. There were people at the foot of the cross who missed salvation. Two criminals hung equal distant apart. One of them saved forever. The other condemned. It is not your proximity to Jesus that saves you. I want you to hear me. The move of Christ in someone's life next to you. God may use that to change and save your life, but at some point you've got to decide, is Christ your savior? Being around the move of God, being around the things of Christ, it's not the same as salvation. When he was talking to these folks, this was the big one. He was teaching them this, proximity to other believers does not equal salvation. You can't inherit faith. It's explicit in the text. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. No one else can have faith for you. This was a difficult one for me growing up. In my house, there's two ends of the spectrum. I'm a preacher's kid. Praise God that from an early age, my mom and dad instilled in our hearts, our faith can't save you, but your faith in Christ is enough for you. And I never remember, I can't remember going to bed without a prayer, without a Bible story. I mean, I'd sit right next to my mom as my dad was preaching and I'd fill out the RAs things and try to get all the answers right and the Bible drills and all of those kind of things. And this morning, my phone goes off way too early and it's my mama. You're the best preacher in Texas today. And I said, if I am, it's because of you. Listen to me, church kid. As good as my home was, mom and dad could not believe for me. Mom and dad, as life-changing as your kids' faith may be this weekend, they can't have faith for you. But no matter what family you come from, they can't keep you from it. If you set your sights on Christ and you respond to his love, Nothing can stop you from becoming new. There's no way that my mom and dad should have come to Christ. I'm not sure my father ever had a spiritual conversation with his father. A local pastor reached out, invested in him, made a disciple who could make other disciples, and here I am. My mama walked with one of the greatest godly women who's ever lived, Big Mama, who helped raise my mom in Clarksdale, Mississippi. And they walked to First Baptist Clarksdale where Big Mama couldn't go in and my mom got saved and baptized. And here I stand. 
And right in the middle of every story of faith, every testimony you ever hear, there's a moment when someone decides, this is real for me. I've got to decide. I know everyone spends eternity somewhere, and that includes me, and I know that there's an accounting for my sin, and I don't need a second chance. I need a rescue, and all of a sudden you turn to Christ. And I tell you, those folks, when it becomes personal, their faith in turn is never private. And they go where God's called them to go. And they do what God's called them to do. And they be who God's called them to be. The other one is this. Jesus is saying, hey, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. So I don't know you. Get away from me, you evildoers. Listen, your proximity to church does not equal salvation. You could sit in the same seats all of your life. The cloth in that seat has no power to save you. Listen, listen to me, this is grace-filled. You could serve, and I hope you are, but that won't save you. You know that you can preach, and God use it, and it be sinful for you. I've done it before. If you've believed in some system or star chart where you could do enough good to outweigh the bad, that performance-driven religious system is not the gospel and you will fall short. It leads to two places, pride and guilt. Neither one lead to grace. So why are we serving? Why is it not enough? You got me? Why is it not enough just for you to go to a retreat and then check out before they do something else for you? It's what we talked about the first night. We're going, we're giving, we're serving, we're leveraging our time, our talent, our resources. We'll give it all, not to earn the love of God, but because we are compelled by the love of God. It's a beautiful picture of a loving relationship where you go, oh yeah, I'll serve, I'll lay it down, and even when I fall short, it doesn't matter because God's relationship with me is not contingent on my performance, it's built on Christ's and his was flawless. It would change how you sit in your box seat. If you've spent your whole life feeling like you're not enough, Boy, we better go to church. I don't care if it's snow. Boy, we got some sin. We better go. Grace is so much better. If we were to stop there, I think we'd all walk out and go, well, I don't know if that was uplifting. In verse 29, yeah, listen to me. God, read your Bible. You need a real Bible. Not one that could be erased with the next update. Like you need one you could hide, pass down, hold. You need one that you can fall in love with. Right in the middle of the word of God as Jesus is speaking in the middle of this Jewish argument, he starts to talk about you and me. It's revolutionary teaching. He takes this question that was supposed to be about a few insiders and makes it inclusive. He says this, they will come. Look at the room, is that not true? From east, from west, from north and south to share in the banquet in the kingdom of God. Note this, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. What does it mean? It means this, he's telling them, 
You guys here today that are arguing about this, you're the first to hear the gospel. You're the first to hear about me. You're the first to know, but you're going to be last. You're going to miss it in a few thousand years from now in a place called Texas that you've never even heard of. There's going to be a group of Gentiles come together for something called one, and there's going to be a kid who's almost last to hear the gospel, but that kid will come and take his seat in the banquet of the kingdom of God and be first in the kingdom. This is why the church exists. So that everywhere you go, every exit, the hope of the gospel goes with you. So that people who thought that they were out, they'd gone too far, they'd done too much, maybe they had run too far would understand that you can run from God, but you can't outrun the grace of God. And we're here, fulfilling this. Because like me, many of you, no one expected you. No one knew. And all of a sudden, in a moment, you realized, I need Jesus. Has that ever happened for you? I'd like to close by telling you this. There's nothing I believe in life more than this, and I think it's what the passage points to. The assurance of salvation. If you're worried, if you're not sure, here's how you can be sure. The assurance of salvation comes by grace alone. You can't earn it. Through faith alone, you receive it in Christ alone. Come on, the cross was enough. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to keep repraying that prayer hoping it sticks this time. Trying harder. Would you believe in your heart that God loves you so much that he sent Christ for you? Why? Because a price had to be paid for all that you've done and all that's been done to you. And Jesus willingly took your place. And we learned it, didn't we? The problem with current preaching is this. We've confused free grace and cheap grace. They're not the same. The grace of God that saves your soul is incredibly costly and free for you. You receive it, you surrender to it, you build your life on it, and you never look back. And everywhere you go, give up everything to tell as many people as you can, in as many ways as you can, that there's a way for them to be, be made right with God and his name is Jesus. But you'll never do that sitting in box seats. At some point, you've gotta let your, your legs stand and you take that step, you step out. Step out. I'm sitting there on the front row. And he gives me a wink as he's walking to the plate. And boy, that poor guy on the mound didn't know. Hanging slider. You can hear a home run before you see it. And I watched it fly in the left field. And right as he's turning the corner, he points at me. Some of you experience moments like that. There are very few joys in life when someone you love enters into a limited time of accomplishment. No one has to train you to celebrate. 
And I'm standing there, man, clapping. He comes around. We went out to eat that night. It was big time. We went to Chili's. We ate everything. <laughs> Can I tell you something? One day, one day your eyes will close and open for the last time. And you and I will be there in eternity together. I wish I was smart enough to explain it to you. Colors on spectrums that you can't see right now. Notes on scales that your ears are incapable of hearing right now. Eternal treasure and pleasure in Christ. I sat on the back porch, the foothills of the Ozark Mountain with two feet of snow and the stars right there. And I thought, you did this in seven days, I can't wait. And as much as I can't wait to see you there, I can't have faith for you. But your faith in Christ is enough for you. And there's nothing I'd rather do than turn the corner one day and us run face to face and you tell me, you don't know who I am and you don't remember me. But one morning in Colleyville when I was least expecting it, I got out of my seat and put my faith in Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you love us. You love us so much that you sent Jesus for us. And Jesus, you willingly took our place and then you rose again. I wanna ask you this morning to do something bold. If you're here and you're ready to make it right with Christ, if you're ready to put your faith in Jesus, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, would you just lift your hand up? Been running too long? Yeah, I got you. Anybody else? Come on, yeah. Oh, man. For those of you that lifted your hands, I can't fix you, wouldn't even know how. There's nothing I'd rather do than introduce you to my best friend, Jesus. And there's nothing he would rather do than save your soul. The Bible teaches us if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that we will be saved. Won't you just right now in your heart, pray this, God, I love you. And I believe you love me. And I know I could never be good enough to undo all I've done wrong. Outweigh all the bad. I'm tired of running, I'm tired of the guilt. This morning I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I trust in you. You took my place on the cross. You paid the penalty for me. And then you rose again to set me free. And so here I am, I'm crossing the line out of my seat forever and I proclaim today my faith is in you and you alone I trust you thank you so much for saving me Father thank you for doing what you promised you would do and that's draw men to you I pray that this student ministry is never the same pray that First Colleyville would never lose 
never lose their desire to reach the next generation that for many years to come long after our lives that this place would be a place where students come and know that Jesus is better I pray that the students here would give up on their small dreams and surrender their life to big dreams and go to the ends of the earth for the gospel and start in their home on their team at their school Thank you for the parents who invested, the leaders who gave, the staff who worked so hard. But Jesus, nothing happens without you. And so we make much of you and give you all the glory, honor, and praise. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.